0: Hey mates! Welcome to another Guitar Wink Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host Troy McCubbin. Hope you're well and safe and keeping uh, healthy in these crazy times. Uh, We're going to continue on with uh, Danny Raven uh, from last week to keep it flowing. Uh, This is episode 228 and uh, yeah, we, it was, we had a lot of fun with Danny. It was a lot of, a lot of cool stuff. So um, And the songs you'll be hearing, uh, of course, his band Marvin. So check them out. Go have a listen and say good day to Danny. Uh, if you want any merchandise, we've got new mugs. New mugs, people. Go check out our shop on guitarwank.com. Also, you can join Patreon and support us that way and keep this going. Keep us off the streets. Also, you can email us at Guitar wank at gmail.com if you have a product if you have uh music anything you want to sell to a large number of musicians guitar wank uh contact us and we can set that up and we can start advertising on our show we're accepting those now uh and i think that's about it nothing much else to say doing this in the future so uh yeah i hope the world is still around because um i'm doing this about a few days before Preparing. Preparing ahead, ladies and gentlemen. There's a first for everything. All right, be safe. Sit back and enjoy, Danny. And we have uh, Mr. uh, Leland Sklar coming up. We have Beth Marlis coming up. Who else we got? Um... Yeah, uh, we've got a bunch of people. We've got a lot of cool guests coming up, so it's exciting stuff. All right, guys, share, give us reviews, like, do all the standard shit you need to do to help the Guitar Wank. Really appreciate your support, and uh, we will catch you all next week. Thank you.
1: be a nightmare and uh, that you know as as we all know that 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 has I I don't even know I don't even I can't even begin to to talk about how how impossible and terrible that is for people who are trying to get discovered or climb some sort of hierarchy these days uh, we have a saying that it's like if you if you suck the devil's dick you have to be ready to swallow some fiery cum
2: (laughs) (laughs) Very well elegantly put. I love it. That might be Guitar (laughs)
0: Wank's new uh, logo right there.
2: Yeah, man. (laughs) You mind if we steal that
0: one? (laughs) Go ahead. Danny, (laughs) have you found that after all these years, that traveling all over the country from East Coast to West Coast, that basically we're all the bloody same? Like... We all want the same thing. we all enjoy music do you get do you do you feel no no we're too? not
1: we're not the same. Some people are fucking awesome, and some people are terrible. It's music too. Some players are amazing, <laughs> and some suck but with
0: your fans, do you find there's a common a common ground with them that you're
1: yeah, I love them They all love our music <laughs> they're they're a great They're a great specimen of humanity you know they're i mean i feel I feel like we have amazing fans, you know I mean. Our music, and I feel like Scott's music too, and you know Bruce's music too. It's like, uh, you know, it. The beautiful thing about playing intense, you know, soloing intensely, is that uh, it puts people in fly in fight or flight mode. They can't just sit there and drink and talk over it. You know, you just they have to like get into it or leave. You know, because it's loud and it's intense, and I love that. Like, I just I love seeing. I, you know, my favorite thing, which happens a lot, is seeing like the the hot girl that's into the first guitar solo. You know what I mean? Like, it's like she's like runs to the first, like woohoo, right? And then she's just like, I see the shift in her eyes, like, oh my god, it's gonna continue. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's not going to stop, is he? The song's not starting, you know? And then she has like, she's like. Oh no, like this whole thing was like, look at me, but like it's he wants them to look at him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one for it's, us, I it's, love just it. the, it's the best, it's the best feeling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome,
1: yeah. man. That's what but, uh, Scott. I gotta tell you about uh, uh, and all of you guys, Bruce, too. It's like part, part two of the story of like how Alan made our drummer quit the year after. They had us back at that same festival, Uh right? The Jefferson City Jazz Festival. Uh Uh-huh. And the lady that ran it, uh, she was like on the mic emceeing this thing in front of like hundreds of people. And she goes, here's the band, like just being a fucking cunt, she's like, here's the band from last year who like, what happened to your drummer and bassist? (laughs) What? They were sick? And Danny is like, you know, standing over the saxophone is like, they're dead. And she's like into the mic. She's like, they're dead. And everybody's like, you hear this thing? And it's like, and he he goes, they're dead to us. And she goes, they're dead to you. And you literally, there's a video of it. You see the cameraman just laughing. You see the frame just going up. and. Oh, man. (laughs) Instant karma, bitch.
2: (laughs) That's great. Oh man. Oh well, I'm sorry Alan did that to, you, to your drummer. Oh, no,
1: no, it was it was for the best. It that, worked that out, great. I think. Oh, yeah. our, our new drummer is just amazing. We Oh that's yeah, great. We so, were lucky enough. Danny, are you
0: going I mean with touring that that hard, are you going kind of nuts or it sounds like you've been able to work around the COVID and be no, able to play? We,
1: yeah, we've just been able to like basically Stay afloat financially, me and Danny, you know, through these COVID tours. But it's not the same. Yeah, I'm going nuts. It's uh, it's not easy. No, I mean, it, it's really a change. In uh, we were when COVID hit in March, we were on tour, heading down <laughs> to play cruises. We were gonna do cruise to the edge with uh, yes, and then after that, we were gonna do the on the blue with Moody Blues. And, oh you know, wow, Garfunkel! And I, like, I, and COVID was already—the rumors were starting—and I was like, I was just dying to shake Garfunkel's hand and be the guy who killed Garfunkel, like with COVID. But that <laughs> didn't uh, end up happening. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. So we March 14th. every day, like, was the last. Every venue we were playing, heading down there, like in Columbus, Ohio. This was like the last. They, they were open because they were all like just doing this. And we got as far as Columbia, uh, Columbia, South Carolina. And then the owner, they had like their second case of COVID in town. The owner was like freaking out. And after that, we just drove straight shot home and ev- everything was done. You know, the whole, everything was just ended as like March 15th. I think it was really yeah. the last show. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's really a big shift in my life. I mean, I've never practiced so much, like, I mean, had so much time to practice, but practicing at home doesn't, alone, is, doesn't get you so much better, you know? It's like, it's a balance between, between practicing and playing, because, you know, like, playing live is the arena where you test the hypothesis of practicing against reality, you know it's like you just see if that thing works but like there's so many licks that like sound incredible over like a backing track or hand motions you think you use but once you're standing up and the air is moving and you're playing with people it's like some stuff just doesn't stick to your playing yeah you know? yeah so,
2: yeah Totally through man i mean it's like for for me practicing that's why well i don't know i don't know if anybody would agree with this but when i practice with a backing track I don't even really think it's me playing. I watch TV while I do it because really all I'm doing, it's muscle memory that I'm practicing more than anything else because creativity to me comes from listening to others. Mm -hmm. And and since I have nobody to listen to, but Steve jobs on the backing (laughs) tracks, it doesn't give me much input and I don't really feel that creative. So my practicing as far as chops practicing is just, sort of mindless it's just sort of like okay let's go through the things that I play just so I don't forget them you know I don't want to forget all my lines and the stuff that I do but it's not in a, any kind of a creative way it's more just like a a a, a hands thing just yeah. like keep the chops up keep my hands fluid and don't let atrophy set in but when it comes to be creative that's where I go into a whole other mode and think more about composing or think more about doing things that have to do with harmony that don't have to do with live playing. They just have to say, well, okay, I can transcribe an amazing piece of music and learn some harmony from it. And that's a valuable way for me to grow as a musician. It doesn't really... It's, it, it is practicing, I guess, but it's a different kind of practicing.
1: Sure. What, what do you do, I've Bruce? i <laughs>
2: yeah. What well, What do you?
3: Yeah.
1: I mean, what do you I, practice? i
3: got to say... Uh, like Scott, I'm getting older, so you know a lot of it's just you know keep from getting worse. You know, and I mean, <laughs> yeah. you're a young guy, Danny. When we were your age, we practiced to get better. When you mm-hmm. get our age, we practice to keep from getting worse. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is a fucking scary but, notion. But,
3: but, uh, I just have to tell you guys, I don't agree with what your basic philosophy is. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> for me, uh, I hate backing tracks. I think if you want to, if you want to basically inject your, your music with lack of interest and energy and humanity and imagination, put on backing tracks, and that will pretty much just basically suck the life out of you. I agree. Um, I, luckily for me, kind of timing-wise, over the years before this, I've had a solo project, you know, that's more not really a band project. It's just playing solo Mm -hmm. and doing things around playing solo, telling stories while I'm soloing, entertaining people, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, for me, this natural progression of just being alone and working on stuff, I'm constantly creative and finding new. There's so much sound in my head that I can't get to that, you know, put myself in a situation of playing a tune in a certain style or a certain key or writing a new tune and playing it, you know, or playing along with a record or playing along with a metronome. Mm -hmm. This, you know, is for me, it's the same as playing a gig, and it's just as inspiring. And actually, I feel like these six months, because I've not had the touring, I've not had all the time in my car racing to a gig, I've not had somebody else's gig where I have to practice their music, or an audition or a record date where I have to play that music, and I've really been afforded the the time just to get into what I want to hear is the first time I've ever been able to do this since I was like 16 and 17 and learning how right. to play. I mean, for this amount of time. And so for me, this has been an incredibly creative and stylistically, uh, you know, explosive, imaginative time for me. And I and I really feel that emerging from this, even though I'm not sure it's over yet, I do feel like I'm emerging from it somehow. Yeah. Um, are you playing me, gigs now? I'm already hearing a different musician. I mean, I'd made those TV shows on YouTube and, and mm-hmm. I watched my, the, the evolution of my playing and I wasn't really even aware of it. It was just, I was going for a sound. I mean, yeah. I was just, you know, evolving and not trying to control it. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't have my other peers who were like, well, this is the hip thing now or this is the way I'm going to get more gigs if I do this shit or whatever. You know, I didn't have any of those pressures involved in my thought process.
1: It but was, you don't you don't feel a difference like not having somebody watching, you know, it's like even if it's sure, intimate. Sure.
3: I mean, but yes, I do. But I mean, I have had times where I've been playing now. Mm-hmm. Like you. Yeah. Gigs. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. You, Small yeah gigs. And so uh, and of course, like I say, I, I was doing a TV show twice a week. So I mm-hmm. am playing in front of people. Right you know and i actually every morning on instagram i do a chorus every day right you know so i am playing and granted i'm not getting the feedback directly in the room from the audience which i love dearly Please right. don't get me wrong that's a big thing especially for a person like me who tells jokes and does all these kind of stunts while i'm playing mm-hmm. that's a big thing but at the same time the music's enough for me and yeah. you know and i am getting better and i re- and i like last night i was hanging with a group of people and I played yeah and there has been no actually I have changed and I've gotten there I'm like kind of like watching and listening to myself going wow this is the effect of this experience and in a way as jazz musicians that's kind of what the people who gave us this music expect of us sure you know we get a set of changes and we create the music. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And every evolution and every societal thing that happens and every political, cultural, whatever, if, if we move to a new country, all these things sort of, you
2: know what I mean, affect the output of what we decide to create. True. I, True. I, I, well, Bruce, I have to just jump in and say and call bullshit on one thing that you're saying. <laughs> is that... Is that that works for you because you're playing solo. Yeah. But if you're playing with the bass player and drummer every night and that's what you do, and then all of a sudden you're not. Right. Then, hey, that's a different story. Well yeah. because, uh, because because uh, I'm not gonna become I'm... a solo guitar player just because of COVID. <laughs> I have sure. the desire to well, be a solo guitar and that's, player. I a was not a simple guitar player. Well, you know, but are you calling bullshit, or are you saying it doesn't apply to you? It doesn't <laughs> apply to me because you okay. said. Okay. But then you're not you calling said, it bullshit. What you said is that I don't agree. Yeah. You don't agree with it for me or for you? No, you said I don't agree. In other words, like you were saying, you don't agree with what Danny's saying. I, I mean, for me, yeah, I don't agree with it. Sure. Well, no. it, I think a better way to word it would say it doesn't apply to me. <laughs> Rather than I don't agree, you know, because what because what he's saying. What are you, Donald Trump, right right now? is right <laughs> for you.
3: You How know, like a made a
2: debate last well, night. I will.
1: I will oh. say for, for me, I I totally get both. I I do spend about an hour to two hours a day playing like you know Django tunes, no backing track, just solo guitar while reading comments and talking to people, and you know singing tunes, no metronome, no nothing. So. I I can relate to this thing of playing standards and just, uh, you know, playing time and and generating time and the freedom and and inspiration that comes from that. But I do miss playing a strat with gain, Mm -hmm. which so does not, like you can do it for a second in a show, like play a little chord solo thing, but that texture is just, it, it doesn't work on its own. you know. Well, so. yeah,
2: what I'm saying is that I love my backing tracks. And the reason that I love them, and I don't believe what Bruce is saying, that they suck the life out of my music, is because I'm constantly <laughs> trying new ideas all the time and trying to play stuff that I've never played before over my backing tracks. And I notice that the backing tracks help me not only help keep my time well, because they are, in essence, a metronome,
4: Mm -hmm.
2: and if I look at it in one way, they're no different than playing with a real bass and drummer. But what is different, the main thing that's different, is there's no communication between me and the bass player and drummer, and that is a big part of what I do, the interplay between the bass and drums. But that's the only thing that's gone. I, I would but say if I, you, I, you say there's no difference, and you just pointed out like the biggest difference in music. <laughs> uh, I think, oh, no, but it I mean that doesn't just because you're not having interplay with the bass player and drummer doesn't mean that you can't come up with new ideas and new ways to execute those ideas and come up with brand new stuff to play. Yeah, you uh, sir, I, you I sir- just so that, It's up. just a different. It's a different type of thing you're working on. And then that's exactly what I suggested. Is yeah. in yeah. fact. You know, I mean, of course, you,
3: I mean, we know, you know, you've been playing, you've, you've been shedding, even with backing tracks or whatever, you get out on the road with the band, and all of a sudden, you got to get your new sea legs with the new guys and how the sound is going, and sure. you got it all going good, and then you get into a new club, and everything's changed, and you still have to find that thing that works for that moment. Of course. Then the next night, you're tired, and you got a bad sound man, and you got to find what works for that moment. No, really, I mean, we're all dealing with... I mean, the, this music, at least if we're going to call it jazz, is based on improvisation and dealing with your environment and preparing for everything and being creative in the moment, you know, and dealing with well, the shit you get and the and the and the great things you get, right? And
2: one of those moments is sitting at home playing with your backing track. Yeah. Well, or, or <laughs> you know, I will so say there's one. There's, you know, I mean, to there's me, a, there's a, if you're sitting at home playing with your backing track, that can be a very productive thing to do. But I play with a metronome. I'm not saying you shouldn't. My my point is, is that you're playing solo guitar, so you don't need bass and drums. All
0: right, all right, Daddy. I feel. I feel. I feel like. I I feel like this fight
2: has
1: happened before. Is this like? Is this like a deep prehistoric fight that we keep returning? No, 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 no,
2: no. no. It's like we, we we sometimes have disagreements on the way usually it's about the way something said more than what's being said because I think we're both saying the same thing which we usually are but what I'm saying is that since I don't play solo guitar and have no desire to play solo guitar I play with bass players and drummers that's what I usually do so when I practice my own tunes and a lot of the times when I practice the tunes that I write what I'm looking for to improve is I'm looking for new ways Mm-hmm. To play my tunes, I'm looking for new voicings. I'm looking for new phrases. I'm looking for new mini compositions within solos, you know, something
1: to I'm, emerge yeah
2: I'm, I'm I'm looking just to play the music uh, as many different ways as I can. So yeah. having backing tracks, I don't think I would be as productive without them because they yeah. help me imagine that the bass player and drummer are there supporting me. As I play all these different things. Now, when I do that on stage, of course it's going to be different because mm-hmm. they're going to react to the stuff I do and their reactions to the stuff I do will make me play different and it'll be a whole other ball game. But I'm just uh, saying, while I'm here at home, I don't mind using backing tracks to practice. They help there's,
1: one, there's one thing that I will say that you're not taking into account, which is kind of the issue of placement. Uh, which, which I think is really the the one the big difference between backing tracks and playing with people, which is when you are always kind of uh, hat you know, kind of pulling yourself along for a ride that's going without you when you're <laughs> right. playing, you know, agree. and 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 there's that, that the the thing that it's just going not listening to you is not solely. And and that's and, and same could be said about a metronome. There's just something about the about generating time rather than following a machine that is intrinsically destructive. And I think some some of those old records they sound so good because they're free of that, you know. And and we're we're just such bitches. We're just addicted to that ability to edit. Well, that's no. why
2: I love Elvin Jones so much because he's so flexible. And when you <laughs> listen to him play, like. With with whoever you hear the time, it's it's there's a big difference between saying someone doesn't have a good time because they're slowing down and speeding up, or saying that someone has a flexibility that's beautiful. Yeah, you're
3: well, talking about swinging at this point. You know, yeah. you know just at least I mean, the quality of swing. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying swing style. I'm saying the essence
2: of swing. What what it means
1: it to swing. Yeah, you yeah. like sure. like a fucking sure. leaf in but, the wind.
2: But, like, I mean, <laughs> one one thing no machine that will ever make up for playing with the real person. I mean, there's yeah. wow.
3: no, and we, we all know that. No one would dispute that. Um, <laughs> one thing, you know, the difference between backing tracks and a metronome is you can actually hear the metronome in various placements of the time. mm mm-hmm. Mhm you can shade it whereas a backing track is very definitive about where the groove is. Yeah. So so that thing you're talking about that flexibility and the ability to like lay back, you know, hear that 2 and 4 or if I don't know if you put it on all four beats or if you put it on mm-hmm. 2 and 4, but it'd be like you put it on 2 and 4 then you know you can hear that a little bit behind the beat you can hear it wherever you want and therefore it's not quite the same as a
2: backing track no, i, I agree it allows, basic it allows it's, it's, I, good, it's completely different it's got so much more space than a backing track
3: right it allows you to shade the time right. without the influence of the rhythm section
2: yeah. but see, i'm not thinking about that for me i'm thinking about the backing track is even though it's a poor representation of the band it's enough of a represent- representation of the band where I can try some new stuff and yeah. see if it works. But I think the also-
3: thing I think about backing tracks that's good, and I'll say this, especially if you're the kind of person that's used to playing in a louder situation. Mm-hmm. There's a different physicality to playing with a lot of sound going on around you than not a lot of sound going around you. Right. So you know, to have the have that much sound to into get in front of to get on top of whatever you want to say to to be in and to you know have to get a sound with that much going on that's another great thing about backing tracks which of course i'm not really interested in because my thing is usually either trio duo or solo and and i don't have that you know really dynamically i don't have that fight that you yeah, know, you guys, have with the style of music.
1: There's there's a, something that Scott does, I think, amazingly, and you know, people like Michael Brecker do it too. But I think it's really it really is growing up in this era where you've always kind of had backing tracks, always had metronomes as a part of your practice, which is you can play these lines that have this plowing kind of momentum, especially like those sixteenth note lines, because you know how to put yourself in the right place in front of the track, you know, and it's a very subtle thing. And it's not, you know, it's kind of the opposite of what Schofield does. You know, it's just like that, like, you know, you just know how to play those kind of beboppy lines that just have this bulldozing feeling. And that really has to do with, uh, but I mean, I'm guessing that probably there are some players you play with where it's harder to make that happen. You know, there if they are, kind of dig I mean, into the groove of, a little of bit. Of
2: course, you know, what I, what I try to would say would be my ultimate situation is when you're playing in a room and you can have anything you want to happen right. you can play super soft you can play really loud you can play really hard you can play really soft you can play long notes you can play short notes music is all about balance right and without the balance every time to- every shade of balance that gets taken away from you by a circumstance takes the music down a notch.
1: Oh, I've played with people that took every circumstance. Uh,
2: yeah. Totally agree. <laughs> totally agree.
3: Uh, one of the great things about solo in fact is mm. is you have really the, you have the entire it's up to you, unless, of course, you have a sound man or acoustics of a room. That's but fine. y'all
1: are so lonely. <laughs> so, it so lonely. You
3: get all the money. You're like,
1: you're like the dude from Kung Fu, just roaming the no, earth. no, alone. I mean, hey, I'm, you know,
3: I would <laughs> say that I'm one of the most social people I know. And I think, <laughs> you know, it's just like, I don't need to play with them all the time. You know, yeah, I don't marry them all. But, he, but that, that dude,
1: you know, he, he died like... You know, jerking off in a hotel room while hanging himself—it's just like, <laughs> the dude from Hong Kong Fu, Kill Bill, oh, you know, David, David Carradine. <laughs> David, Carradine. Yeah, David Carradine, you know, you, yeah.
3: What band did he play in? Ronald, <laughs>
1: say. you go, you go on a journey alone. <laughs> and a soul it soul ends it. up some fucked up <laughs> way. you
3: <He's laughs> right. up for Tommy Emanuel right?
1: I'm just saying, Bruce. It'll be a shame to watch you go that way. Yeah, that guy, all that solo guitar.
3: <laughs> you know, I mean, just. No I, I don't.
1: I Jack don't want to see you like hanging by a bird with <laughs> your dick out. Just...
3: You know what? Was- I mean, I'd rather be me- hanging by a bird with my dick out than not hanging by a bird with my
1: dick out. <laughs> that's actually the best way to go.
2: Let me watch where it all begins. Let me tell you why I agree with everything you said after I called bullshit on some of it. Let me tell you why I
1: agree with it.
2: Because I do play, like half of my practice time is spent playing guitar by myself. So so when I know, that, when I get into that zone and I get really creative playing guitar by myself, I notice those spaces and I know how those spaces affect what I'm doing. And here's the difference. I have no desire to play what I'm playing when I'm sitting there by myself in front of people. I have it, That's not why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it for completely different reason. It's not an act. It's not something I'm ever going to do as a show. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it because I want to understand and realize the harmonic possibilities of where I can go with nothing, no nobody telling me where to go. No charts, no tunes, no nothing. I just want to sit there and play, and I want to play music that I am inventing right there on the spot all by myself. That's my goal. That's beautiful and very nerdy. (laughs) (laughs) So so what I'm saying, so what I'm saying is the fact that I'm not doing it as a show, and that I'm not trying to prepare it to play it in front of people, makes me not care if the time is right, or if the time, is. in fact, most of it's rubato, yeah. so, so there is no time most of the time, so, so I, I, I don't think about things like metronomes and things about things about time, because if I was playing solo guitar like you do, I would definitely want there to be parts of it that swing. And to, and to have time, whether it was a straight eighth feel or a swing feel or a shuffle feel or a funk feel, I would definitely want to get into areas that, that where I'm like the band. I'm going to take the place of the drummer. I'm going to take the place of the bass player. And I'm going to put on a show with my guitar where it's going to be interesting on all levels, rhythmically, uh, blah, blah, blah. But the kind of, the kind of solo guitar I'm playing, I'm mainly just interested in the harmony, not the rhythm, okay, Mr. Henderson.
0: Both. That's your time, that's your two minutes.
2: No, that's <laughs> my Danny. You I, want to I, reply? I'm saying, I agree with what Bruce is saying. Yeah, that when you have all that space around you with no interference, with I'm no just ball. playing
3: music in yeah. the situation yeah. that I'm in. I'm I, sorry, I apologize for it. I'll yeah. Like, yeah. Danny, I like
1: Danny. I was, I was, uh, you know, I just did, did these two tours where it was, you know, me and a saxophone. And I was singing standards. We were playing like, you know, a lot of these kind of things. And Danny would solo over me playing like La Palm stuff. And then I would solo on air like a homeless person. And uh, Jesus Christ, man, it's like, and, and really, I you know, when I'm doing solo guitar stuff, especially like when you're playing tunes, you can't just go rubato. You have to swing the whole way through. Yeah. And, it, and it fucks up your playing too, because especially if you come from a place where you're used to playing with metronomes and backing tracks, you're used to doing things to time you used to, you know, place your notes a certain way, play some phrases behind, some ahead, do this kind of really dance that all the, you know, swing and bebop guys do. And when you have to play the time on top of it, kind of like coming out of a saxophone solo, like right? You know, you're playing like, I don't know, I'm confessing that I love you. And it's like, your turn to play. It's like, you know, you can thicken up the texture by throwing in chords. But like, I think there's, there's a certain kind of prison of playing almost, I would say a ragtime style, where you're really just playing the time and soloing on guitar, where it it can feel very lonely, like very, like I don't know. I wish there was a bass there or like you know some brushes. Like if I'm if I'm playing a solo show and there's no other people there, it's different. But like a duo show with a saxophone player, it's rough. <laughs> it's rough to, to what, just Danny. Like,
0: when did you get into the gypsy jazz stuff? How long you? When did that? come into your playing?
1: Um, my ex-wife bought me like this cheap D-hole uh, that, like in 2012 or thir- 13. Right. So since 2013. Uh, and I've just and then I'm, you know, it, it came about because we were just, we needed to make money on tour somehow. And we we're just like, well, let's just fucking let's play on the street. Let's do it. And then we just like, dude, you want you want to you get tough? Play on the street. You <laughs> talk about room. This room sounded bad. Try no room. <laughs> 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 Fucking open air. How no a, yeah,
3: playing yeah. on the street, man. That's that's really a great place to learn to Dude, get a sound,
1: isn't it? That <laughs> shit makes you, first of all, makes you project. I mean, I, I had to teach myself from scratch, like, you know, the rest stroke technique.
4: Yeah.
1: And uh, that wasn't easy. That took, like, four years, you know, to really be able to play, like, the same, you know like a lot of the same linear stuff and figure it out. And like I told you earlier, it's like... uh
2: would like to get Wayne Krantz here. <laughs> I'm going, what? <laughs> like there are people in New York that don't know who he is. And you guys know you guys know Wayne Krantz. You sure. guys know everybody. And I've experienced the same thing in Lithuania, in mm-hmm. in in Slovakia, in the but, Czech. But, Republic, Scott, When's the last time you played like, Mississippi? Yeah, but I mean that's just as weird. <laughs> it's like, you know, honestly, in all the years of tribal tech touring the states, We never went south. We never, we never ever got south of Washington D.C. Yeah, except for one time. I think we played in Florida, but but that was a one-off. Like why? We would usually drive from L.A. We would hit Phoenix and do all those gigs in Arizona. Blah blah blah. Then we would go all the way to Minneapolis with no gigs. Like it, it, it was just a straight shot from L.A. to or from Phoenix to Minneapolis with nothing in between but the road, so there was no gigs. Once we got to Minneapolis, we could work every night all the way to the East Coast. And then we'd go up and down the East Coast where we'd have, you know, usually at least five, six nights a week. But then when the tour was over, it was from D C all the way back to LA with no work.
1: <laughs> a Marvin <laughs> tour dude, it's we play seven nights a week. We haven't had a day off on tour since two thousand 14 I think and who who and Leo books this no Danny books it fuck no oh
2: <laughs> Do you think okay. Leo
1: can book that nobody can book that no ah,
2: so you book it yourself
1: yeah because managers are for people who can't manage
2: <laughs> uh-huh right right well no uh, I mean no, it makes sense because you know I don't know how many times I've been on the phone with Leo who tells me well I can get you this but then there's going to be about five days off between this and this. And I'm yeah. like, what are we going to do for five days? Well, Leo
1: Leo said stupid shit to me too. Like, you know, you can't <laughs> play on Mondays, like in this area. It's like, we've played on Mondays in this area for uh-huh. like seven years, you know? Right, and it's right. great, you know? Yeah, Dude, it's... I hey,
0: fo- I've got to butt in, and yeah. I just think it's amazing you guys have been touring and working it so hard. Obviously, you guys have got a massive following now. Yeah. Um, how do you keep a band together that tight of a unit for so long, like gigging every night and touring all over America? How do you, how do you maintain the relationships like that?
1: Simple. Rhythm sections are like underwear. They, they are meant to keep dickheads in place, but once they get shitty, you need, you need a new pair.
2: <laughs> God, I don't know why I didn't think of that in tribal tech, man. I could have gotten rid of Willis and, and Covington a long time and those fuckers with some other people. <laughs>
1: uh, you know, I mean, the truth is, I don't, th- I don't think it's... I- I'm kidding, but uh, I think that... I actually told that to Steve Morse when we were doing like uh Chris <laughs> to the edge. And, and he literally like, like looked the other way and started walking away from me. <laughs> <laughs> well with Steve Morse. It didn't land. No, <laughs> there was no thing to that one. Um, but, uh, it's, it's tricky. I mean, we weren't successful in keeping our lineups. Um, you know, it's uh, our basic. Uh, our bassist now has been with us for a long time, almost four years, and our drummer has been with us just for the last record, so a year, year and a half. Right. And uh, yeah, it's it's not possible to keep people in this lifestyle unless they're absolutely committed. So me and Danny, uh, we have an amazing um, kind of commitment to this because we don't know how to do anything else, and this is. <laughs> We would literally have to go bag groceries if this isn't working out. So we have to make it work. And, uh, you know, your guys' generation uh, left us with this beautiful desert of music. So we grew up like those lizards that break like a cactus in half and suck out the juice. (laughs) So we'll be okay. But, uh, you know, there was, by the time we entered the game, there was already no opportunity and no money to be made by conventional channels so we had to make up everything and manage ourselves and learn how to do it and uh you know it and and at the same time we were lucky because iphones if i'm, I'm sure in the 90s or 80s you need to know a lot of things to book a tour you need to you know get the phone numbers of hotels get arrange things in advance read a map if you miss the turn you miss the gig like there is a whole set of challenges that our generation doesn't have to deal with uh managers are basically obsolete i mean they're nice to have but uh they just handle things that you could handle on your own fairly easily so i mean i I think in that sense what we learn to do is uh made it possible to make a living and made it possible to, to continue it. Uh, but, I mean, another... Your fucking drummer, I think it was Alan Hertz, cost us our drummer in 2015. We were. I'll, I'll tell you a story, Scott. I
2: remember, that, I remember a gig where your drummer quit.
1: Yeah. So that, that, that was...
2: was uh, of uh, our drummer?
1: Yeah, they went to dinner together and then he came back and quit.
2: Because Alan's <laughs> probably saying, you're playing for this much money and yeah, I probably said hurts saying right. that I'm not making enough money, and right. and and he quit.
1: Right. Well, and then our drummer went off to have the greatest career. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, he didn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he didn't do anything after that. So
2: and I'll tell you a story that's not. I mean, it's semi-related, but I mean, mm-hmm. look, I go to Europe a lot, mm-hmm. and and one of the things that was really happening it was very really hard for me was that i wasn't you know europe for me has to be by an agent so you get lucky sometimes and you're playing six nights a week or even seven nights a week but you're also sometimes you're only playing three or four nights a week and if he's not able to fix that you've got to go anyway because there are weeks you're there for six weeks you might have a couple of weeks where there's not that many gigs and you might have a couple of weeks where you're packed but these American guys, they charge by the week,
4: mm-hmm.
2: not by the gig. So no. paying Alan and Travis was pretty hard on me many times because not only are we paying for uh, musicians' salaries on nights off, but we're playing for our, we have to pay for the hotels on nights off. The promoter's not paying for the hotel. <laughs> They're only paying hotels on the gig nights. Yeah. So on the nights off, we got to pay for the hotels, and it was costing me a lot of money. Sure. So, so it wasn't like a complete financial decision, but when I started working with the guys that I'm working with now in Europe, they're they're happy to work by the night. Yeah? By the gig. So yeah, yeah. they don't get paid when we don't work, just like I don't get paid when we don't work. Well, Scott, and, I mean, and it's... that's helped me. That's helped me financially. Of course. People you know? have...
1: A free country lets people freely price themselves out of labor.
2: Well, that's exactly true. <laughs> and I feel like, as much as I love Alan and Travis, they kind of price themselves out of uh, me being able to work with them anymore. Your
1: you know? that virus that Alan that Alan was spreading to our drummer just jumped on him and immediately made him quit. It was it oh, was man, amazing.
2: You know, I love Alan, and I, he's a wonderful guy, and he's a yeah, great drummer. Here. I'm still using him. I mean, he. Engineered um, people mover. Even though he didn't play on it, he yeah. still engineered it, and I hope he'll in, in, uh, engineer my next one because I sure. love his engineering. I also love his drumming, but I right. can't afford him as a drummer because right. you know it's just he's out of my price range. So sure, um, it's it's business, man. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Danny. Um, at what point? I mean, you guys are touring
0: around America and doing all that. At what point did you start to see it? Cause obviously there was quite a few years there. It was just nothing, no response, no no feedback. At what point did it start to change? And how did you guys use social media?
1: Hilariously direct, like directly the story of Alan Hertz, like that, that exact thing. So what happened, we had a three week tour with our bassist and drummer that played on our fifth album, which is, uh, aggressive hippies. And, uh, they, you know, we did that album. We, we played with him for about a year. Then we had a three-week tour. Three last nights was two nights opening for Scott at Reggie's. And then the third night, we had to drive back away from Chicago to, to play the Jefferson City Jazz Festival in uh, Jefferson City, Missouri. And uh, so Alan goes to some, get some Thai food with our drummer Greg. Greg comes back after he plays the gig. He's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm, like, I quit and our bassist also quit at the same night and we're why? like well we have a gig tomorrow like night and we have to drive seven hours tonight after the gig even though you know we live in Chicago and they're like no we're done we're like oh, oh <laughs> but we signed the contract like you know we have to make this gig anyway we're like we're done we don't give a shit like fuck you guys we're why like, did they quit oh. Uh, cause they were just sick of us and sick of, and it was at that time, you know, they had to, we drove an average, I'd say of eight hours a day, played four hour gigs every night uh, in dive bars. It was just work, you know, I mean, again, for me, I want to get good at guitar. So playing four hours a night, especially in those days, you know, was an amazing thing. You know, I, I thought that was the best part of the day by far. And, for us too, to make ends meet, me and Danny like, you know, on the side, we, we, I'm deep in a Django hole. I, I, I love that music. And I was learning how to play gypsy jazz and we were just busking on the street for money for like five or six hours a day. So we would play 10 hours a day. You know, we'd play for six hours playing standards on the street usually make more money in those days playing in the, the middle, like, you know, just like shivering, playing like homeless people on the street, then go to like a fusion show with 10 people in it and make like a third of the money we would make on the street. But we would make it work, you know. It's funny because do you remember that movie Bird with Forrest Whitaker about Charlie Parker yeah yeah there's like that scene at the end of the movie where they have the white trumpet guy in the band the trumpet player and they take him to a tour of the deep south and they go to like a black segregated hotel and he opens his hotel room door and he sees this run down room and in my mind I'm just and he's like he has this expression like oh the conditions and I'm thinking like he has his own room (laughs) (laughs) We've been sharing rooms since we started. We were like sharing beds, like four people in one hotel room and quality in, you know? It was like our lives were rough and that's why they quit. But anyway, me and Danny drove, you know, eight hours to Jefferson City without telling them. And we were like, listen, our bassist and drummer quit. We're going to do this as a Gypsy Jazz duo. We're going to play some standards. Danny's going to play. And it's like a lot of people. And they're like, that's not cool. But, you know, I guess we'll, T- you know, you they 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 told us we're gonna pay you half, and you could come next year, and then you know you'll take a pay cut too. You know, with a full band to make it make it up for us. We're uh, like, whatever you say. You know, so we showed up. We did that gig. What actually happened was when we got back to Chicago, we were so pissed off. We were telling them, "Listen, you guys really fucked us to the bassist and drummer." And uh, what we want you to do is, you we had a. Studio time. Studio time to to make a video, right? To make like a produced video of our music, uh, in a nice place. And we're like, you just do this, and we're done. That was the last time I saw either of them. We put those two videos, Redline and African Shabdai on YouTube and Facebook, and they got viral. It was like the before Facebook was. Still, uh, you know, a private company and they were still letting things kind of spread. And those two got to like 3 million people very quickly.
0: What what made them spread, do you think?
1: We had about 15,000 diehards. that we collected over six years that gave it enough of a push combined with this perfect storm of Facebook letting things spread because they weren't trying to monetize yet. There was no such thing as boosted posts, paying for ads on Facebook. Everything was just free. So it was still, we missed the heyday of YouTube. Like Snarky Poppy rode that wave, you know, and got famous when when YouTube was letting things happen like that. I mean, right now you'd have to look for a new platform if you want to get to those kind of numbers. But yeah, we basically became a sort of known band and we could draw people in a lot of markets after that, which the next lineup enjoyed. Uh, but those two fuckers quit in the exact wrong time because I can't even imagine what, it, what that feels like because they worked their ass off for a year for basically no money in the worst possible conditions. And...
2: Is there no state that you don't play in?
1: We played all of them, Uh, except for Alaska.
2: the United States.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So let me just ask you this is a dumb question, but let's just say you pull into Minneapolis. How -hmm. many people can you expect to be at the gig, approximately?
1: Minneapolis?
2: Uh huh. It's an average size city, you know, good. I would say
1: like 120, 130.
2: That's good. Yeah. And what and what about if you pl- played but, but we one played, of the smaller towns yeah, like, we, like
1: we drew we drew 150 in um what's it called um, it was like in Texas like right by I need to pull up a map. Uh, what's the name of that place in like south southeast it, Texas?
2: Wait, Houston or Austin? No, it's
1: <laughs> Not even close. Like the the border towns.
2: San Antonio. Oh, okay. Brownsville, no. Brownsville.
1: Uh, I'll, no, no. I will tell you exactly where that was. One second. Let me pull up a map of the states.
3: Brownsville, the way of Laredo.
1: <laughs> Laredo. So we we were doing a tour, <laughs> and we we're playing all the border towns by Laredo, and uh, yeah, we're just we had massive attendees there.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. You know. That's amazing because you know. Uh, Markets that you wouldn't think exist for that kind of music. It's cool that they're there, man. That's good to know.
1: This this thing, mm-hmm. the iPhone, made all the people the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. all the same. They get the same information. They know the yeah. same jazz. They they listen to the same YouTube videos. They're all
2: the same. There's such a there's such an incredible, um, you know, connection between what you're doing and what Tribal Tech did, and the only difference is that we only could go where our agent told us to go and you can go anywhere you want because yeah. you know yourself, we were limited by what our agent had to offer us. So he could only offer us certain cities. And most of them were the like, you know, the bigger towns, like Minneapolis, Milwaukee, places like Cleveland, Dayton, you know, there's a you know, that jazz club in Dayton, Jilly's. Yeah. yeah. So that's all the places we played. The bigger, you know, the medium to big cities, but never in the small towns because our agent had no clue what was going on in those small towns.
1: Well, this is the thing: we at this point we don't take guarantees. We don't want them. Mm-hmm. We're we're doing our own marketing. We're doing our own PR. We're just charging at the door. A lot of times I'm not going to go to the nice venue with the shitty deal. You know, I'd rather, and most sound people don't know what they're doing. It doesn't matter how many speakers they have there and what kind of board, you know, it like, tends to sound better if we're going mainly stage volume in a medium room, you know. So, I mean, I don't know. A lot of times it's just the, the deal is so raw that for me, I just feel like I'm renting a room and charging at the door. And a lot of these venues, you know, will give me something crazy, like 90 or 95% of the door. Mm-hmm. You know, because they they know I can fill up a hundred people on, on a Monday, and mm-hmm. to them it's a huge financial success just at the bar, and I don't want any of their bar money.
2: And and how much are you usually charging for tickets?
1: So now we're at about twenty bucks.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and that's you know, Danny, I love hearing this because obviously you said that I said people aren't touring anymore, <laughs> and I'm off on my rant, and then you come back and you prove that. Bands are out there doing it, and obviously you guys have done it the hard way and the long time. Congratulations, man. That's oh, yeah. so fantastic I mean, to hear. Too,
2: man. I'm, like, I'm I'm happy to hear this. Yeah. This it's, awesome. not like, it's not like I, I'm too old to do it now, I yeah. mean, the way you guys are doing it, but I really, if I had a known what you know, and if the situation had been different back when I was doing it in, that, in my day, I would have done the same thing.
1: Yeah. The only thi- thing
2: is, is I would not share a room with Covington. That's, that's <laughs> the thing that I would never do. But that's the only difference yeah. I can think of. I don't know, man.
1: So I don't know. It's 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 a weird it's a weird kind of thing, you know. Because um,
0: what what about today, Danny? How do your videos? How many views are your videos getting now with the following and how long you guys have been doing it?
1: Lots, you know. Well, I mean, we our game changed a lot when uh, Facebook live became a thing. We were, we were on the road while it was happening. And uh, I just remember turning the first day it became a feature. I just had the application. I just clicked it and it was just all of a sudden we were connected to, d- to, d- to the other side and we we're like, Hey, and they're like, Hey, i are like, Whoa, it's like, you know, this is, this is big. So, um, i 've been doing these live feeds just playing standards playing oh uh, i mean i 'm I'm, I'm like i said i 'm deep in a django hole, so i 've been taking people on that journey uh, you know with with the gypsy jazz stuff, and you know I do an hour to two hours a day, and wow. I tend to get to about ten thousand people a day
0: ten thousand yeah that 's uh, fantastic
1: so yeah, and that 's just you know talk. The gypsy jazz world is another funny world. I mean, it's, it's uh, I've, I've been having a lot. It's funny cause I'm, I'm in it just cause I love it and I do it a lot. But I've, I had like just these tiny brush-ups with like the tiny industry they have in it. And I, I want no part of it. That's not how I make my money, but it's a very funny thing to call. To call gypsy jazz a style of jazz is like uh, calling, you know, those Vegas Elvis impersonators a style of rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny there's so like what
2: are do you doing? in the gypsy jazz are you doing it as a solo guitarist or are you yeah. playing the rhythm section
1: yeah play, no no, just online playing with backing tracks playing solo playing standards and like singing some I stuff just just showing people stuff talk it's uh-huh. communicative and I, I love that music but um yeah so it's it's a tiny little
2: so it's, it's a funny little style I wanted to ask you just this one musical question. Sure. You know, the band has changed, you know, over the years with different rhythm sections, and you've (laughs) made albums. And forgive me, but I haven't heard all the records. I have some of them, but I don't have all of them. So do you feel like that when you change rhythm sections, it also changed made a directional change in the music? Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Uh I mean, we basically... (laughs) the first we have we have eight albums um okay. and and now we have two covid albums which are like that that's really what this uh covid albums is a funny thing cuz you have like this uh i feel like a virus like this, what it really did is made all the quality of music just go down 10 touches, you know? <laughs> just the quality of it. Everybody's just doing a home record now. Yeah. So you have a, you have like the COVID album, but uh, I did like a solo guitar thing, and Danny did something where I played bass and guitar and Antonio Sanchez played drums. And, uh, you know, so we, we're going to put that out as a double one, but that's kind of to the side. So, yeah, our first album was a duo thing uh, where we just got the this country and we were confused and we just needed to do something. Uh, the next two were big productions with tons of layers, tons of players. Uh, we had Paul Wartico from Matheny group and Steve Rodby. And, uh, th- that was the second and third one. And the fourth. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. That's yeah. The one remember where
2: you're playing like more texturally you're playing. There's a, there's a lot of layers and text. tons of layers the record. Right. It's really nice.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Th- we were kind of influenced by Matheny group, Uh, you know, when we were young and uh, wanted to go for that. But there was... Then what happened, you know, it's really really a weird thing because we started off um, making albums from our imagination, really using the studio as a tool. Uh, But then we got to this place where we started touring and we loved that kind of lush, produced sound. But people were seeing our show, which was Quartet, High Energy, like Fusion and got this record that's kind of like that. And they felt like they were buying Coca-Cola and, you know, Sprite cans, like felt a little betrayed at the merch table.
2: I I remember when I saw you guys first live, I thought I was going to hear what was on the album that you gave me. Yeah. And I was expecting that kind of ambient, lush kind of music. Mm -hmm. But yet instead I got like this burning fusion band where you're playing like lines and it's sort of not to compare. Cause I hate comparisons, but I just have to bring up Mike Stern's band mm-hmm. because it was a lot of lines and, you know, sort of like a lick band, you know, where you're playing mm-hmm. these fast licks and a lot of, a lot of, uh, of what do you call it when two people play the same line? Unison lines, unison. unison lines, a lot of unison lines yeah. and, and a lot of soloing. And mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, these guys are like blazing. It's not like, <laughs> it's like nothing like the record that you gave me.
1: Yeah, yeah. I
2: was kind of surprised, you know? Yeah,
1: like, it's that, and that, that became the music. But it's, it, the uh, truth is we went through, um, you know, there's two approaches to record making. One is you use your imagination to dream up music. And one is you take a look at uh, the reality of your band, and you try to write music that fits the people. So it's like in 2014, our live album, we had a gospel bassist. That motherfucker did not know harmony. So whenever you th- threw some chords at him, you know, it's like would, all of a sudden the music started sounding really fucked up. So we played more vamps, you know, and he could do that. You know, and uh, that, that took a turn. Um, one of our drummers who shall remain nameless you know, we, at the beginning, we were very fascinated by his playing, but then we realized that there's, we, we learned the difference between improvising and randomizing the hard way. And, uh, you know, he was randomizing and, and it's hard to play when somebody's randomizing. A lot of out-of-pocket experiences, uh, you know, so that, that was tough in its own way. So we tended to kind of rein in a little bit more of the, you know, it, we, we had more parts in the music. It was more like Prague in a sense that, like, the sections we needed to rein it in compositionally. So we'd always kind of look at uh, the people we had, which was a huge, huge constraint. We couldn't just, you know, do the Osnoy. I think I'm going to have Dave Wackel and, like, <laughs> this guy today. You know, we didn't have, like, this infinite budget situation. So the people are a huge constraint. And uh, you do the best with what you can afford. And I think you're right for us. You know, we just, our goal was to just write the best songs and play the best music the way we played it, that we could. And yeah, just fi- figure out a way to do it.
0: Danny, how much does now that you guys are so established and that on social media wise, how much does Facebook and YouTube control your output? What do you mean? Has it, has it changed? Because it seems like Facebook are always changing their algorithms and how they let people promote stuff. Has that, has that worked against you or for you guys now?
1: We have like 340,000 people there. So it's worked so you, for us.
0: So you guys have all the control as opposed to someone trying to start out now, right? I
1: think it's, I think it's always frustrating because they don't let you get to all those people whenever you feel like it, you still have to pay for visibility, even of your own crowd. You, wow. know? Uh, yeah. you have to, you have to boost posts to your own people, but at least, you know, at least it's doable. You know, when you have a show and you have to, now it's just the complicated part is figuring out the numbers, right? It's like, you need to find the sweet spot of the investment you would put in online marketing for, a show right. and how that would translate into ticket sales and raising awareness that you're coming. So if you will like, you know, a big beef I have with the way Leonardo does things, you know, is that he will spend, you know, he'll spend a lot of time getting you good gigs and even think about the routing, but $0 on promoting the show, you know? <laughs> like so, so you need to, you need to think again, it's, it's, it's weird it became a weird zero sum game where you think about it's almost like the philosophy is that the venue owner is your boss and he's paying you a salary but this poor guy is, just owns a bar that barely exists like always on the threat of shutting down you know so i think I,
2: I'm, you I'm, oh go ahead go ahead
1: no i just think you need to dial in that number you know if you think you're going to i don't know without promoting make a thousand bucks
2: yeah if Both me you, and friends do that on a very small level um, yeah. ourselves because Bruce had his band and they'd travel all over California and play a, a, at a lot of the festivals and street festivals and stuff like that and some clubs. And I, I, would when my guys would come out here, I would book local gigs around LA. We'd go to Vegas. We would go to San Diego. We would just go to places where we didn't need an agent where yeah. I could just call the guy and say, hey, we'll play for the door. You know, and, and same thing. And just hope that a lot of people show up, try to, get, try to get people that I know in the city to go put posters up in music stores and, and try to get as many people to the gigs. But we usually did pretty good. You know, like yep. in Vegas, we'd get like about 150 people in Vegas, mostly musicians, of course. Mm-hmm. And, yep. you know, it was a doable thing. So listening to what you're saying, I'm thinking now that if I wanted to expand that, I guess I probably could you know and and maybe go a little further than vegas maybe go to phoenix and then from there but Whoa. let me ask you this do, tucson do you, yeah in tucson do you do you still uh, travel in your own van with your own gear of course uh-huh. of course it's the only way to do it and, and i
3: mean right not right now i mean with with covid and the shutdown you, you you're not doing that now no are you? no no, okay. no I'm not.
1: Yeah, well, you know that's
3: not going to work. I mean, we did
1: we did two tours since COVID of me and Danny doing backyards of our fans just uh, playing gypsy jazz. Wow, and that's uh,
3: super cool.
1: I love that. And we made a lot of money doing it. (laughs) A lot of money doing it because we charged, you know, decently, and we had zero overhead. We rented, dude. We had a show. It was like three weeks ago in uh, Salt Lake City. And then we had a show the day after that in Spearfish, South Dakota, and we couldn't make it through because they had a snowstorm in Wyoming. And every time they shut down 80 and then they shut down 70, and we try- kept trying to make it up. And uh, like, there- we had like – it was a 10-hour drive to begin with, and we had to drive 18 hours through the Tetons and then through Yellowstone, and just we had to miss that show because there was no way to get through the state. But then we played Minot, North Dakota – we play fucking crazy places, dude. We play wherever they'll have us. So yeah, we're just playing like Django tunes and I'm singing standards and just hanging out with our fans around literally a campfire. People are buying merch. Dude, when there's a will, there's a fucking way. The problem is that you want all this shit that you can't afford and you want the guarantees. The guarantees are what kills the musician, right? Because it's like, it's like, you're like, I need, I, <laughs> it's like your musicians tell you, I need this amount a week. Well, it's like, well, fuck you. Like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the guy who doesn't need that a week. We'll see what we make. And that'll be what we make. But if we're going to crush it every night, then we're going to make good money because we're going to give people awesome nights.